0: Welcome to the official Barclays Premier League podcast, brought to you by Barclays. It's the closest title race in years and
1: Chelsea weren't in the mood for sentiment at the bridge. The way you, you used to say in football, we come to kill and in 10 minutes we destroy.
0: We've got a good hiding today. I think the best way is not to explain too much the mistakes. Wayne Rooney scored a 55-yard lob and Yaya Torre produced a 25-yard curler. But was Alexander Tetty's 30-yard screamer the most important of the lot?
2: When Alex scores a goal like that, then it's got to be on a winning team. But I thought his all-round performance it was excellent. It capped it off for him.
0: Norwich boss Chris Hughton joins us to discuss his side's march up the table. But will Hull defender Liam Rossignol end up with
3: more kids than goals? I've got four girls at the moment. I think I've got six goals in about 350 games. I don't know if me and the the misses are going to keep going on the kids' (laughs) side, but I'd like to think I'll have more goals.
0: We discuss the relegation battle and the Barclays Premier League's greatest ever goals. Former Spurs and England star Glenn Hoddle explains how a Spurs fan saved the day in Jerusalem. Plus, we hear from Brendan Rodgers, Tim Sherwood and Mark Hughes. (laughs) and welcome to the official Barclays Premier League podcast after a weekend that conjured 42 goals, the second highest total in the Barclays Premier League. I'm Marcus Buckland, joining me to discuss those goals and all the talking points is former West Ham, Charlton and Ipswich midfielder Matt Holland. Hello there. Matt, 17 of those 42 goals scored by the top three, Chelsea, Liverpool and Manchester City.
4: Messages of intent, it would seem, as we enter the home straight. Yeah, I thought it was an outstanding weekend, first and foremost, uh, and those three sides really are crank it up at the top of the table now trying to pick a winner is going to be very difficult Liverpool in fine form scoring goals left right and centre Sturridge and Suarez impressive as ever Chelsea uh, a really tough fixture I felt against Arsenal Arsenal Wenger's thousandth game in charge as well but they always seem to come out on top against them and Man City well you know they've struggled for goals a little bit but backfiring again And Yaya Torre in great form very difficult I think to pick a winner out of those three. Yeah, it's
0: certainly frightening for the rest. Uh, Throughout the season, we're looking for these standout moments of sportsmanship and spirit in the game through our hashtag YouAreFootball campaign. Did you notice anything in particular this weekend?
4: Well, I I have to say I loved Liam Rosina's celebration after his goal. Total joy on his face. Uh, He hasn't scored for a long time. In in actual fact, the quote afterwards was brilliant. More kids than goals in the last five years. I thought that was so funny. So, um, yeah, that stood out for me, I think. Well, we're going to be uh, talking to Liam a little later in the show. But the top
0: three showing that insatiable appetite for goals, and we have to start with Chelsea's sensational 6-0 romp over Arsenal at Stamford Bridge. It was meant to be Arsene Wenger's special day as he celebrated his 1,000th game in charge of the club, but Jose Mourinho's side ruined
1: it. I think 10 amazing minutes, and with 10 minutes you can win the game, and in 10 minutes you can show everybody that today you wouldn't give any chance to any opponent and so happy with with the approach we come the way we used to say in football we come to kill and in 10 minutes we destroy after that easy penalty red card 3-0 easy
0: Matt, Mourinho's biggest victory as Chelsea manager, it equaled Wenger's worst defeat. It was easy by the end, wasn't it? Long before
4: the end. To be honest, it was easy, as as Mourinho said in that first ten minutes. I thought Arsenal basically didn't start particularly well. They were too kamikaze in their approach to the game throwing too many bodies forward, square passes in midfield and got caught out by Chelsea. Chelsea's tactics, I thought, were outstanding. Matic in midfield, I think, has been a brilliant signing and and another brilliant game that he had. Um, And it was over in 10 minutes. And I don't think the sending off had too much of a bearing on the result. No. Uh, Samuel Eto'o got
0: uh, his 11th of the season. Of course, the accusation levelled at Chelsea is that they don't have a striker who can score enough goals. It was a fabulous finish from him, though, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a
4: great goal. I I still feel that Mourinho will be in the market for a striker in the summer. You know, Samuel Eto'o can't go on forever, that's for sure. But he has had a a very good season. But I think it is a position that he does need to strengthen. And if they get a striker next season, you you really think that they could be real favourites again next year. So, yeah, he he has had a good season, though, Samuel Eto'o, and it was a fantastic finish.
0: We have to touch on the controversial sending-off. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain and Kieran Gibbs have both been cleared after Gibbs was mistakenly sent off. An FA panel decided that referee Andre Mariner dismissed the wrong player. Neither player will serve any ban following the incident and Mariner will take charge of Newcastle against Southampton on Saturday. So they appear to have cleared
4: up what was a little bit of a mess. It was a real mess, yeah. I mean, I felt for Andre Mariner. Uh, The incident happened very quickly. He took a little while to think about it then decided to give the penalty and obviously got the the wrong man in terms of the sending off, despite Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain telling him that it was him that that actually handled the ball. So, yeah, rightly, Gibbs has been exonerated and will be able to play in midweek. Oxlade-Chamberlain, I think, it's a difficult one because I think he actually did try and stop a goal scoring opportunity. He felt it was going to go in. That's why he handled the ball. So I think he's fortunate somewhat to, to probably get off the red card. And Andre Mariner, I think that's good that he's got a game because, yeah, you know, as a, as a player, we all make mistakes. We have bad games. Uh, Mariner made a mistake, uh, which he's held his hand up to after the match. But you want to get out your, those mistakes out of the way pretty quickly. And so to have a game this Saturday, I think, is good for him. Yeah.
0: Mourinho, despite the win, continues to play down Chelsea's title championship. Obviously,
4: they bounced back really well after that defeat at Aston Villa. Uh, Are they favourites for you at the moment? I think they probably are. I actually tipped uh, Man City at the start of the season simply because of their goal power. And Chelsea, of the three teams at the top, actually don't have that same goal power, should I say. But defensively, they've been absolutely outstanding. Cahill and Terry have been great at the back. And I look at their fixture list, and the one game that stands out is a trip to Anfield. Other than that, I feel as though they'll probably win all their matches. So that's going to be, for me, the the title decider. But I think they have to go into it as favourites now simply because they've got the points on the board and the fixtures look pretty good apart from that trip to Anfield. Yeah, and they have got a very good record against the other top four clubs. So what
0: should have been a day to remember for Arsene Wenger became an afternoon to forget. I believe that it's not too much to talk today. I think uh, this defeat is my fault. I take full responsibility for it. And for the rest, uh, let's focus on the next one, well done Chelsea. Uh, We got a good hiding today, it's how we respond now. I think the best way is not to explain too much the mistakes. Bitter experience for him. But we shouldn't forget, Matt, what he achieved in the first half of his uh, career at Arsenal. But there is a slight danger now that that's going to be shoved into the background, isn't it?
4: Yeah, it's a real shame, to be honest, um, because I, I think he's an outstanding manager. He's had a great time at, at Arsenal, certainly in that first half of, of games that, that we've talked about, the, the trophies they got, I think three Barclays Premier Leagues, five FA Cups. So yeah, his record was fantastic. I think the the last 500 games have been difficult for him. Financially, he hasn't been able to compete at the top of the table. He hasn't certainly had the same financial power that Chelsea, Man City have had, have, have been able to go out and buy players. I think probably because they've built the Emirates, they've tried to pay that stadium off. I think we'll start seeing them being able to compete in the transfer market now. Ozil came in the summer for a big transfer fee. He tried to get a big-name striker. Higuain didn't happen uh, for whatever reason. Neither did Suarez. And I think you have to look now. If they've got Suarez at the start of the season, the form that he's shown this season, Arsenal could well be top of the table right now. So I think that's something that we should look at with Arsene Wenger, that he hasn't had the money to spend that some of the other managers have had. And if he does get that this summer then he will start competing again. Plus he's got the FA Cup to look forward to as well and that might be a trophy in the cabinet which might appease some of the Arsenal fans. Yeah, their favourites to win that. Are you writing them out of the title race after that defeat on Saturday? Yeah, I, I am, to be honest. I think they're too far away and and I'm not sure they're as, as strong, particularly against the, the top sides. You know, when it comes to, to taking each other on at the top of the table, I think that they too often come up short because they don't have the power and strength that some of the other teams have. And they've got a big injury list as well, particularly in midfield, you know, with Wiltshire out and, and Ramsey's been a massive loss as to as Walcott.
0: Well, soon after Chelsea put six past the Gunners, Liverpool kept up the pressure on the Blues at the top of the table by winning 6-3 at Cardiff. Luis Suarez, once again the standout player, his hat-trick equaled Robbie Fowler's 28-goal record for a Liverpool-Barclays Premier League season. Very straightforward, very impressive in the end, but they did have to come from behind twice those defensive uh, deficiencies do show up occasionally don't they
4: yeah it's not uncommon for for Liverpool to concede but what they have got is plenty of goals in the team and they always feel they can outscore the opposition you know even in recent weeks we've seen them go to Fulham and potentially drop points and they won that one three two Swansea at home they conceded three but they scored four so you always feel that certainly Brendan Rodgers probably feels that they've got enough goals in the team to beat whatever comes up in front of them and if they do concede they've got enough to beat the opposition it was their sixth successive
0: league victory, but Brendan Rodgers is keeping his feet firmly on the ground.
2: I think for us, we're
0: just really enjoying our, the moment, enjoying the football. We've still got a hell of a long way to go before we're near to where I want us to be, but, but certainly we're making strides in
1: order to get there. We're on the right path, that's for sure. And the players are playing with no fear, with great enthusiasm, and, and again, analysing the games like we do. We're identifying the, the real strong qualities that we have in the team.
0: 82 Barclays Premier League goals for Liverpool. That's more than Bayern Munich, PSG and Juventus, by the way. 47 of them scored by Suarez and Daniel Sturridge. And, Matt, Suarez missed the first six
4: games of the season. Incredible, isn't it? It's so difficult at the moment to try and find a way of stopping those two. It's not just those two. You've got Coutinho and Sterling behind them. You've got the running power of Henderson, Gerrard picking his passes. So, all in all, at the moment, Liverpool, going forward, look magnificent. What Brendan Rodgers has done as well... Game to game, he's quite happy to change his tactics. He doesn't stick with the same formation. If he feels as though one way is better than another um, against whatever opposition they come up against, he'll do it. You know, he's been playing a diamond in midfield of late and that's worked. He's trying to get the best out of his forward players and it's working. The movement is incredible. Sturridge is always looking to get in behind and he's got great pace in doing that. Suarez will find him. Suarez's skill in tight areas is unreal. And they... Yeah, I've got this telepathic feeling between the two at the moment. The, the back heel from Sturridge—he didn't even look. No, he didn't even look, but he knew Suarez was there. Just brilliant to watch.
0: Uh, so a nine-goal thriller in which Cardiff more than played their part, but again, no points to show for the Bluebirds. They remain second from bottom, but manager Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is staying positive. I'm hurt. My pride's hurt. Conceded six goals is not something you're uh, proud of. But we uh, we gave him a game for a while, and up until they got the fourth goal, uh, then. If you're chasing it, the attitude of everyone, that's, of course, that's spot on, as as it always is. You know, when you're 4-2 uh, down or 5-2 down and you still keep going, because these lads, they have that in them. 5-3, we just want to get a 5-4, but then uh, they score the six, which makes the scoreline looks worse. But uh, the attitude is uh, fantastic. Well, the consolation for Cardiff is that most of their fellow strugglers also lost, so they were no worse off at the end of the day than they were at the start of it. But uh, how much do you now fear for their top flight survival
4: i think you have to I, even a few weeks ago i think everyone was writing perhaps fulham and, and cardiff off and that saying that those two were down and, and it's one other plus them obviously confidence will have been battered by that defeat he's right that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and the fact that they did put up a fight and certainly first half i thought they were very good but unfortunately it's another defeat and they've got a massive run of fixtures now they've got five games which he'll be looking at as really winnable matches it starts with West Brom and that is crucial because if you're looking at above them in the table you've got to try and suck two more in that is I think a must win game if they don't then you have to say they're down. Yeah, the time has come for them uh, to
0: stand tall. So, while both uh, Chelsea and Liverpool added six to their goals for Column at the weekend, Manchester City could only muster five without reply as they beat bottom of the table Fulham at the Etihad Stadium. Yaya Torre scored three of those, the third an absolute stunner, and he's been speaking about City's title chances.
3: Pretty to, to the manager as well, because we are, we are playing more attack side now, you know, and uh, we are always pressing high, and uh, when we lose the ball, we are always. And I think uh, it's, it's very easy for me when I was um, 20 or 30 hard from the goal. I you know I can, mm-hmm. I can be concentrated and focus and go and try to do something like I did yesterday. It's gonna be very very tight, in my opinion, you know, because earlier we had uh, you know, Chelsea 1 and 6 you know, and we Arsenal, you know, and I think uh, it's gonna be very very tight and this year. And I hope uh, in the end of the season it's gonna be in Man City. We lift the trophy.
0: What a season he's having, Matt.
4: 16 goals and that third one at the weekend was very special. Yeah, um, I think the majority of his goals actually have come from set pieces, either penalties or free kicks. Uh, but that one from open play was was a joy to watch. I think that he will be the first to admit that Fernandinho has made a massive difference, I think, to his season because it's allowed him to get further forward. I think he he loves bombing on. He loves getting in and around the box and, and he he's great when he does make those runs from, from deep into the eighteen yard box. But Fernandinho's allowed him to do that because he's sat defensively, think switched on to what to any trouble that, that might come in that respect. So it's allowed Yaya Arturi that freedom to get into the box and I think he's been outstanding again.
0: As far as Fulham are concerned, well obviously still very much bottom of the league. Uh, no shots on
4: target. Did they just go into that match expecting the worst. Will they be able just to write it off? <sighs> they have to. They have to move on very quickly. They wouldn't have expected to get too much. That Certainly their season isn't going to be judged on those matches against the sides at the top of the division. It's going to be those in, in and around them. So the fixtures coming up are, are key but they have to move on and move on very quickly.
0: OK, well, coming up, uh, we talk about the best Barclays Premier League goals ever scored and we speak exclusively to the Norwich City manager, Chris Hewton, on their quest for safety. You're listening to the official Barclays Premier League podcast with Marcus Buckland. <laughs> So we've covered the top four sides as they continue to attempt to outscore each other to the title but two of the goals of the weekend came from outside of those Champions League spots. We'll get Matt's thoughts on Wayne Rooney's 55-yard lob shortly but first we head to Carrow Road where a sensational 30-yard volley from Alexander Tetty helped Norwich gain a vital 2-0 win over Sunderland.
3: I've been hoping to get a goal since I came to the Premier League. have been practising hard on,
0: on training ground. Hopefully I,
2: I got a great goal. When, when I strike and
0: hit good on the ball, I intend to score some great goals. It, it never happened that often, but I'm very happy for today. Well, that was the Ghanaian-born midfielder Alexander Tetty and I'm delighted to say that we're joined now by his boss, the Norwich City manager Chris Hewton. Hello, Chris. Uh, good morning. Some goal from Tetty and, and some reaction from you on the touchline as well.
2: Yeah. Well, I, I think that was um, uh, down to the I think the goal itself. I mean, with Alex who's been super for us in the period of time that he's been here and certainly he's not one that's known for that type of goal. One that we'll get at times, we'll get attempts at goals, but um, the fact that it was his first goal, I think it's a reflection on what he does in front of goal. And uh, that hasn't been his role. But for him to score that type of goal, I think it's uh, not only my reaction, but if you look at the reactions of everybody around me, yeah, and I think we were just really pleased for him.
0: It was sensational. I believe he's a Manchester United fan. So which is um, the better goal, Chris? His or Wayne Rooney's lob at West Ham?
2: Um, Well, I would say Alex's simply because Wayne Rooney is a a goal scorer, you know, and I know it was a spectacular goal, there's no doubt about that one, but, you know, he does come up with these spectacular goals every now and again. But I think for Alex to pull off that type of goal, in which it was his first goal for the club in the two seasons that he's been here for somebody that's not known for scoring goals, then then I think you've got to give it to Alex.
0: Fair enough. Uh, Robert Snodgrass got the opener. That was his fourth in the last seven. How significant has his contribution been of late, Chris?
2: massive but you know he, he gives us a contribution every game, whether that's through assists or whether that's even playing well. You know that someone somebody like Robert that at any stage of the game can produce something He's a whole hearted player. But it's that's a real business end of the, the season and this Spartans Premier League is such a tough division
0: win takes you seven points clear of relegation your last four games there are against Liverpool Manchester United Chelsea and Arsenal so how do you assess your overall position at the moment?
2: I mean we, we've always looked at it the same and I know an awful lot has been said about the last four games but, but in particular at home Hul-
0: On a slightly different subject, Chris, you've been playing top flight in international football since the 1970s, managing at the top of the game since the late 90s. Is there anyone in particular that you might pick out as having been a key role model for you through your years in football?
2: Well, I think probably the early years, it would certainly be Keith who Keith was the manager that gave me my opportunity to play first team football at Tottenham I'd, I'd had a different football yeah. development than most having not come through as an apprentice but having come through the ranks the way that Keith went about managing the team the way that Keith wanted to play but he was somebody that I, I continued to look up to um, you know, as, I, as I developed with my in and management game. and Yes, I certainly would be Keith Birkinshaw.
0: Yeah, he was a hugely successful manager at Spurs. Last one for you, Chris. I know you're concentrating on staying in the top flight, but who do you think is going to become champions at the end of this season?
2: Uh, oh, I've been asked that two times and it's, I think it's a very difficult one at this moment I, I don't know I, I, what I do find very exciting is that Liverpool are right in the frame and uh, I think it makes this part of Premier League a more exciting league at the top of the table with a Liverpool team playing as well as they do really pushing and they do have a, a realistic chance
0: yeah and they are banging for them and uh, we wish you all the best for the rest of the season and, and look forward to seeing a, a few more fantastic celebrations uh, by the dugout well, that's Chris Hutton, who, Matt, is doing a, a really good job in difficult circumstances, isn't he?
4: Well, he is, um, because I think there's a lot of times this season where you've probably feared for his job. You know, we've had the chief executive talking about looking at potential options. He's given Chris Hutton the ultimatum of staying outside that bottom three, and, uh, and if they dropped into it, he might be thinking about making a change. So Chris Hutton has had to deal with some difficult circumstances from from board level, I have to say. I think one of his best decisions, though, was keeping Wes Houlihan in January. And there was a lot of talk about him going to Aston Villa. He didn't and I think he's been key to what Norwich have done this season. He hasn't played as many games as he would have liked and I think that's been a frustration to him but when he has played I think he's been excellent.
0: Yeah and the players clearly uh, right behind him. Norwich looking up uh, Sunderland still 18th and they've got a really daunting end to the season. Games against six of the league's top seven to come Uh, and Gus Poyet, Matt, forced to make a a double substitution
4: after only 40 minutes which um, obviously you don't see very often. No you don't but when you're playing poorly and you're you're looking for a reaction from your players. Sometimes you do need to change things just to try and get something out of the game. I felt that when Gus Poyet took over that they had an initial reaction from him and I felt that they probably would go on and seal survival. Now I'm worried. I think I look at the fixture list, very, very difficult. Yes, they've got games in hand, but they're against difficult opposition. And at the moment, that confidence seems to have been eroded. Once we saw them in the League Cup final, you're thinking... This is a terrific performance. Came very close to toppling Manchester City. But since then, it's really fallen apart. And and again, I'm really fearing for Sunderland now. Yeah, it's going to be tougher then, that is uh, for sure.
0: So Chris Hewton giving his vote to Alexander Tetty ahead of Wayne Rooney's exquisite lob from 55 yards out at Upton Park to set Manchester United on their way to a 2-0 win against uh, West Ham. It was some goal, though, and it had the United boss David Moyes out of his seat
1: a brilliant goal, great technique, a player who's capable of doing all those sort of things on a football pitch and uh, it was like David Beckham's goal or a similarity to it. Wayne tries it, that's the thing, we, people have
0: been saying, you know, they were having a laugh in the dressing room there saying that, you know, he's tried that 20 times and it's never worked but, <laughs> but uh, it came off today and it was it was a brilliant goal, to the awareness to have and know exactly
2: where the goalkeeper is as well.
0: I think it's just instinct, I think of, I've turned and I've had a quick look and I've seen the goalkeeper off his line and it's one of them I've tried many times and... Thankfully, today it's gone in, so no, I was delighted with them. Classic case of if at first you don't succeed, try, (laughs) try, try again. David Beckham was, of course, watching in the stands and inevitably um, memories went straight back to that wonderful goal he scored against Wimbledon in 1996. Which was the better as far as you're
4: concerned? I'm edging towards David Beckham, uh, if I'm honest. The Rooney goal was great. Fantastic vision, the awareness that the goalkeeper's off his line. It's more of a lash at the ball. The Goalkeeper slips as well and, and makes a bit of a fool of himself. If I'm honest, um, Beckham's was just. I think is a is a. I feel I think it's a more difficult skill. So I would just edge towards David Beckham. Yeah, and of course, West Ham fans will say there was a foul in the build-up um, to Rooney's
0: goal. Well, I'm not having that. <laughs> I think <it's laughs> no, that you've got to be stronger than that. Yes. Yeah. Um, what is
4: your favourite ever Barclays Premier League goal, Matt? Well, I've just done. Rooney out of the best goal between him and Beckham but actually it is against Man City the overhead kick I think the circumstances of that goal the situation in the game it's one all ten minutes to go there's been talk about him going to Manchester City and then he, he comes up with that finish runs into the corner and points his back to the Manchester City fans I was actually at that game as well commentating so I think that one stands out I also remember being on the uh, I was on the bench for Charlton against Arsenal um, Robin Van Persie goal I was warming up right at the end that he scored a vo- an unbelievable volley at the Valley um, so that one sticks in my memory as well
0: No Van Persie of course at the weekend, sadly ruled out for up to six weeks following his injury in the Champions League. But they look to have a few
4: more uh, attacking ideas against West Ham. How
0: encouraged should United fans be by that performance?
4: I think it was a good performance. And I think coming on the back of that Champions League match against Olympiakos, David Moyes would be very pleased that there's a little bit of confidence restored in the squad. But we should put into context the opposition. I don't think Olympiakos were great. And West Ham have had a difficult time in the last couple of weeks. So I, I don't think we should read too much into it. As for Robin Van Persie being out, you have to say it's a blow because of his, his goal record. I don't think he's been fantastic this season. And actually, I wonder whether at this stage it might actually even be a blessing for Man united A little bit more pace in attack, people to run in behind to try and stretch the game, which might give Juan Mata a little bit more space in midfield and also allow Juan Mata to play more centrally mm. because it means Rooney plays further up the field. Matter can play in that central position. So you might start getting the best out of of different individuals as well, which might suit them.
0: As for West Ham, Matt, 31 points now, eight to play. They looked safe a few weeks ago when they they strung that run of consecutive wins together. But they've still got to play Liverpool at home, Arsenal away, Manchester City away before the end of the
4: season. So um, how precarious is their position right now? It is. They'll be hoping that the teams below them don't get as many points as them and and you probably feel as though they won't. So I think West Ham probably will be safe. A couple of wins and that will be enough but they'd like to get them sooner rather than later, that's for sure. Yeah, still a few nervy days ahead in East London. Coming up, we'll hear from
0: Spurs legend Glenn Hoddle and we speak to Liam Rossignor after scoring his first ever goal for Hull. But it's time for a little break from the action so we can take a look at the latest Barclays Twitter ticket competition winners. Now, you've been able to win tickets to a match involving your club simply by telling us why you are football. And here are some recent winners. Devoted Fulham fan Ben Jacobs. Flying to Juventus, driving to Newcastle or cycling to Motspur Park to watch the youth team play, I will always be there to sing for Fulham. Palace fan Lisa Trump waiting until my contractions were two minutes apart at Palace versus Bolton in 1997 before leaving the match. Gooner Rachel Evans after my dad took me to my first match in 1995 I looked like the Arsenal shop had thrown up on me. I've never looked back. Goonerette forever. And West Ham fan Chris Moodle, my mother handed me down the pair of shoes she dyed claret and blue for the 1965 European Cup Winners' Cup final, a great family heirloom. Hashtag you are football. What is your greatest piece of memorabilia, Matt, that you will be handing down?
4: Well, I, it's funny. I wasn't really a um, a big shirt collector. You know, a lot, a lot of players love swapping shirts. I got a few. Don't get me wrong. And there's a few good ones there as well: Vieira, Gerrard, and, and Rooney, which I'm sure my kids would, would like. But I think I'd I'd probably go for my my Irish caps. We didn't get a cap per game, so I haven't got a, an absolute hat full of them. But we got one per season, and on the cap it used to have a number and it tell you how many games you played in that season. So played over the course of seven seven seasons for for Ireland. So those seven caps would be. Migrated piece of memorabilia. Oh, and how many caps in total? 49. 49. One short of the Just one century, short, unfortunately. unfortunately yeah.
0: Well, they have a chance of winning tickets to watch your club. Tweet why you are football to at Barclays using the hashtag youarefootball or post it on the Barclays Football Facebook page. I'm here with the former West Ham Charlton and Ipswich midfielder Matt Holland as we continue our look back at a stunning weekend of action in the Barclays Premier League and we kick off the second half of the show at White Hart Lane where Gilfie Sigurdsson's late strike for Tottenham secured a 3-2 win against Southampton dragging the host back from two goals down to the delight of manager Tim Sherwood. I looked up at the clock, it was 89 minutes and we just needed a rally and um, right on song. The fans started singing, and they picked us up, and uh, it was a fantastic layoff for um, for Gilfy, and and a wonderful finish. Um, I thought he give us a spark second half. Gilfy, you know, Musa, it's unfortunate to go off, but puts himself on offer to play, but hadn't trained all week, and it, and it showed, and I needed a bit bit more energy out there. It was a good substitution. The Spurs fans kept singing as well. They do get criticised at times, but um, they really back. The team. And Tim
4: enjoyed parts of the match from the dugout, um, parts from up in the director's box, but a happy ending for him. Yeah, yeah, he sort of said hasn't he, that it might be best that he sits up in the stands because he, he does get over excited at times, but he, he wears his heart on his sleeve, that's for sure, and he and he, uh, he plays every second of the of the match. And he certainly celebrated that goal well enough on, on the touchline, but it was a massive win for them. No question about that.
0: Christian Eriksen with a couple of the goals, uh, he said that
4: Sherwood's half-time team talk was not Pretty. (laughs) I've had a few of those in my time as well, yeah. A few team talks that haven't been particularly pretty. Towards the end of my career, it became less and less, I think, managers really digging out players. I think players got too upset with it, They're a bit soft at times. But in my early career, we used to see the old teacups going and, and all that sort of stuff. So Tim Sherwood's from the old school. I can imagine a few teacups being thrown in that dressing room.
0: Yeah, well, he, he said, I'm not a babysitter,
4: I'm, I'm their manager. And rightly so. But, but can he get away with that sort of management in this modern era? Well, I think, he, I think you can, but I don't think you can do it every week because I think players will soon get fed up with it and, and perhaps you won't get the reaction that you're after. So I think there is room for it but certainly not every game.
0: Well, the fans certainly deserve credit for getting behind the team until the final whistle. And one man who knows all about the passion and devotion of the supporters at White Hart Lane is their former player and manager, Glenn Hoddle.
1: I've always had a a fantastic relationship with, with Tottenham fans everywhere around the world. And every time I come back now, it's 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 never changed, and it's uh, it's close to my heart. It really is, you know. It's a special, special relationship I've got with Spurs fans, and they come up to me and they talk about goals and matches, you know, wherever I am in the world. And it's uh, it's something that uh, truly, when I you know, I always relate back to when I was 12 years of age and walked through them gates, and um, you know, to to still have people coming up and talking about. Things like that. What I did in my career was is very special, very, very special indeed. And you talk about the fans you've met abroad. Um, are there any specific examples you can think of when you were? Well, there's one that sticks to mind, and and it, it makes you uh, wonder, like you know, how how you're always going to be recognised as a, as a as a footballer. But I actually went to um, Jerusalem on a on a sort of a trip and lost my way from the people that I was with, and I was down these little back alley streets. Of in Jerusalem, and I was totally lost, if I'm <laughs> honest. And of all the people in the world, I've, and they, they were really tight, and there was, like, a door, and there were people living in these houses, which were incredible. And just as I walked past this door, a guy came out, and he, he looked at me as if he'd seen a ghost, and he couldn't believe it. And he dragged me into his, his little river, living room, and he had spurs all over his ceiling all over the walls he had pictures of me pictures of other guys you know players from jimmy greaves right the way through to the to the this was in the 80s late 80s when i went there and um it was incredible absolutely incredible and i thought then well you know you're always going to find a spurs fan somewhere in the world
0: That's uh, an astonishing story. Thank goodness it wasn't an Arsenal fan. Glenn may never have got out of
4: that house afterwards. Um, Any uh, strange fan experiences uh, for you? Cool. I don't think I can top that. I I remember actually being away with Ireland in Estonia in a a qualifying game and uh, we were going for a walk and, and as we were walking through the massive great square, the Ireland fans were taking on the Estonia fans in a game of football but it wasn't sort of seven aside, eleven aside. It was more like two hundred and fifty aside. Uh, all good natured, all good fun. I think the Ireland fans came out on top as well. So that was that was quite funny. Yeah, what an astonishing experience that must have been. Um, back to the game. Uh, Southampton, obviously, very
0: frustrated, having been two up after half an hour. But their manager, Maurizio Pochettino, had
2: nothing but praise for his opponents. I think uh, Tottenham are a team that's equipped to actually play for the Premier League, to, to be uh, a candidate to actually win the league. We're Southampton, we're, uh, we're a young team, we have young players, there's a long-term project for, for Southampton. Um, but despite that, I thought it was an even-sided game. Um, and overall, um, yeah, we're yeah,
3: we're disappointed with today's result.
0: Maurizio and his very hard-working interpreter who's uh, still going great guns. So disappointing that they lost but again some really fine individual performances
4: and everybody purring about Adam Lalana after that one, Matt. Yeah, I, I like the fact that he sees it as a long-term project and, and one of the key things for him will be trying to keep the players at Southampton. He, he won't want to be losing them and you know, there'll be a lot of clubs looking at some of his players Lalana being one of them and he was outstanding again. Just gets in little holes he gets on the half-turn, he's looking forward all the time. I think he's a player that has really impressed me this season, and I think he's almost certain to be on the plane to Brazil with England. He's, he's been that good, but he's not the only one. I mean, there's a lot of good English players as well: Luke Shaw, Rodriguez, and uh, you know the list goes on. So I've been really impressed with Southampton this season, love watching them play and they will grow and develop. Roy Hodgson was
0: at White Hart Lane on Sunday and I'm sure he uh, took note. Also winning 3-2 at the weekend were Everton, whose slightly less dramatic victory over Swansea City at Goodison Park strengthened their hopes of qualifying for Europe. Everton's eighth successive home win in all competitions keeps
4: them within two points of Spurs. Uh, It's a fortress, has been for some time now, has not it? Yeah, really difficult to beat at home. A little bit fortunate in the previous home game against Cardiff. Seamus Coleman with that sort of fortunate winner late on in the game. But they have been very solid, hard to beat. Again, Roberto Martinez, someone that's willing to play young players. I just talked about Pochettino and and these young English players, well, Stones and Barkley. I think, you know, Barkley is is another one. I've talked about Lalana being on the plane. I think that Ross Barkley's Likewise, should be on that plane as well because he's full of confidence for someone so young. Again, he's very similar to Lalana. Gets on that half turn, bursts forward. He's got a good pace and power about him. So, I've been nothing but impressed by Ross Barkley this season Mm. as well. Well, it was his
0: first start since February the first after a foot injury. Scored one, created one, was involved in the other, and his performance certainly caught the eye of Roberto Martinez.
2: Ross Barkley showed uh, a real understanding and uh, a real. Tactical awareness against one of the best teams in the league in terms of possession, around his area, so really placed in the manner that he won the penalty, the way he he knew how to to work in that area. So overall, we started the game really well the first 20 minutes. I thought Swansea finished the, the half stronger and they deserved the equaliser. And then they started the second half again. We had a real intent and and, and a real intensity that he gave us a a two-goal lead and and from that point probably we sat back a little bit too much and trying to use the counter-attack but um, overall I was very pleased with the maturity that we we used to try to get a win against a very good Swansea City side.
0: Well, they've bounced back really well after a couple of disappointments. Got games against Arsenal, Manchester United and Manchester City coming up. And I suppose those sides will relish the trip in particular. So a really
4: significant stage of the season now for Everton. Yeah, could have a big say on where the uh, the title ends up. You talked about Man United going to Everton. That's going to be a really interesting one. David Moyes back to his, his old club. So I don't think David Moyes will be relishing it too much, that's for sure. Eight successive home
0: wins for Everton. Swansea,
4: Matt, have now gone eight games
0: without a win under their new manager, Gary Monk. So, uh, again, like you mentioned with two or three
4: other sides, suddenly getting sucked back down into it. Yeah, I think there's always one that you feel as though he's safe early on in the season and gets dragged into it with a, with a poor run of form. Swansea, I think, have come into that category. Massively missed Michoud this season. You know The goals that he, got, he scored last year, the fact he's been injured for a large period this year, uh, has not helped at all. I don't think the Europa League has helped them either. I think when you've got a smaller squad, it's sometimes difficult to cope with the extra gains that that brings. So I think that they've suffered on those fronts, but again, they're a team that needs a win and they need it soon.
0: Well, while Swansea dropped down to 15th, a well-deserved but perhaps unexpected 4-1 win for Stoke at Aston Villa, which lifted them up to 10th. The Potters on course for their first ever top 10 finish in the Barclays Premier League. And manager Mark Hughes was not surprisingly very impressed with the performance
2: that's always important because that uh, illustrates the character of the team and uh, everybody's pulling in the in the same direction we're on a good run as well Confidence is always a massive thing in football and we've got loads of it at the moment so uh, we're really pleased I mean we're we're in a good position now we can look look upwards and uh, and try and achieve things this this evening we've we've hit a number of targets and there's, there's more that we can uh, we can achieve this season and uh, we want to look back on the season and look back on it with pride if we can.
0: Well, there were a lot of noteworthy results this weekend and and actually that was one of them, wasn't
4: it? Particularly bear in mind the fact that Villa took the lead. Probably went under the radar a little bit because of um, the the drama, I suppose, of of Saturday at the the top of the division. This one very much uh, mid-table battle if you like but Stoke have really really impressed me as well I I think had a difficult start under Mark Hughes he's gradually tried to implement a style of play which has taken time I think when I look at the, the Stoke players they've at times been caught between two stools whether to go long whether to play short and I think Mark Hughes is trying to get a mixture he doesn't want to just play football he just doesn't pass for the sake of passing, and he doesn't want to just hit the ball up to Peter Crouch and try and play off him, which is perhaps how they were used to playing. And it's taken a little while to implement that style onto his players, but they seem to be getting the hang of it now. Uh,
0: And as for Villa, they were looking for a third successive home win in the league for the first time since 2007. It didn't materialise. Complete contrast to their performance against Chelsea. What do you think
4: went so badly wrong for them? Sometimes it's difficult to put your finger on why. I do feel as though there probably was a hangover actually, from that that Chelsea result. It was such a a big win for them, an important one as well. And I just feel that perhaps that took an awful lot out of them, mentally, physically. I know they had a a week to prepare for this game, but it's much easier to get yourself up for Chelsea at home than it is for Stoke at home. So I think that there was a bit of a hangover, actually, from that Chelsea result. Well, it leaves Villa in 11th place, but they are nine points clear of
0: trouble, so there shouldn't be too many problems for them in that regard. Moving up to 12th, just a point behind Villa, are Hull, who secured a 2-0 win against West Brom at the KC Stadium to ease their relegation concerns. The Hull defender, Liam Rossini, opened the scoring with his first goal since joining the club in October 2010, and I'm very pleased to say that he joins us now. Welcome to the show, Liam. Good morning. How are you doing? You're all right. Very good. Let's talk about that goal because it wasn't the most conventional. Ben Foster saves Yelovic's penalty. You head in the rebound. Probably not how you imagined your first goal would be scored.
3: No, to be honest, it's been such a long time. I couldn't couldn't imagine scoring any anyway. So yeah, it was uh, it was great to get off the mark, and hopefully there'll be a few more to come.
0: We've had a Twitter question from Nathan Hobill who just asked, "How did you run that fast?" To get to the ball,
3: I think it's just momentum. I was stood about ten yards outside of the penalty area, and I just tried to match his run up. I knew if I could kind of time my run, no one would be able to catch me from a standing start. And it just seemed to work out. The ball just hit me on the head and ended up in the net. So yeah, it was it was good. It was an important important game. It was an important goal. Um, And, yeah, it was a massive win for us, and it it keeps us away from the relegation zone.
4: Liam, it's Matt Holland here. I just wanted to ask you a little bit about the impact that Shane Long and Jelovic have made. How important have those signings been?
3: Yeah, they've been fantastic. I was with um, Shane at Reading for three years, and he was always such a good player. It's great, uh, in the time that I left um, Reading, to see his career progressed the way it has done and it's great now to see him do so well he's the top man for Republic of Ireland as well now he's the number nine for them and he's a fantastic player you know and Yanovich is a proven goal scorer at this level as well and when you're a promoted club it's important that you have goals in your team and those two certainly provide that for us
0: well you're a proven goal scorer now the big question is uh, Liam come the end of your career um, what do you expect to have more of goals or children
3: let's hope goals I've got four girls at the moment I think I've got just around six goals in about 350 games. So, yeah, um, <laughs> I don't know if I, me and the, the misses are going to keep going on the kids' side, but I'd like to think that I'll have more goals, to be honest.
0: <laughs> Let's hope so. Uh, you got another huge match next at West Ham, who yeah. are just two points below you in 14th, and I think I'm right in saying that you're actually a big Hammers fan.
3: Yeah, well, I grew up with pretty much West Ham in my blood because I used to go down to Upton Park when John Lyle was manager and watch my dad from the age of... Well free onwards, really, and it was a really great family club. You, you used to have the young children in with their dads like even five, five minutes before kickoff and we used to have a kickabout in the gym before they go out and play and it gave me the motivation to want to be a footballer. you know the tradition at West Ham was always to play football in the right way. Um, Matt obviously came up through the ranks there. He'll tell you the same thing. And the amount of England players and top players that have come through from that that club is incredible. And yeah, they gave me the motivation, the inspiration to be a professional footballer. So it'll be great to play at Upton Park again.
0: Well, you mentioned um, your dad, who was a very fine player himself. Just how big an influence did he personally have on you becoming a Barclays Premier League footballer?
3: Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, your your dad is your biggest role model when you're when you're a young boy. And luckily for me, uh, my my uh, my childhood, including every Saturday going to watch him play football in in the top division. Um, he was never too pushy on me to be a footballer. In fact, he wanted me to go to university instead. Um, and he never really pushed me into the game. He doesn't really give me too much advice. He leaves me to it. But yeah, when you're a young kid, all you want to do is play football. And luckily for me, I'm doing it as a job and I'm extremely lucky and privileged to be in this position.
4: How much of an eye have you got on the uh, FA Cup semi-final coming up?
3: Well, yeah, we're not, we're not safe yet. I think the aim for everyone here is to be safe by the time we play Sheffield United in, the, in three weeks' time. As a footballer, you can never look too far forward because if you do, that's normally when things start to go wrong. We know how lucky we are to be in the Premier League. We want to make sure we retain our status and that's the most important thing for everyone at the football club. So these next three games, we can get between four and six points from those games and that puts us in almost a position where we can't be caught and that gives us a lot of confidence going into the semi-final.
0: Uh, and does the manager have to keep reminding you that you know the league clearly is a priority? Stop dreaming about possible FA Cup glory?
3: Um, no, not really. We've got a really, really good set of lads here. Um, anyone who's seen us play this season sees how hard we work from 1 to 11, even the players on the bench. Um, and we're all desperate to be in this league, and that's the most important thing. I've waited a long time to get back to this level, and I don't want to just see it pass by in a year. I want to be here for three, four, five years and for the rest of my career. So to do that, we need to keep working in every game, and we'll continue that tomorrow.
0: Well, Liam, you're well-positioned at the moment. Just looking at the top of the table, uh, who do you think is going to go on and win this thrilling race for the title?
3: Um, To be honest, I think the most consistent team in terms of picking up results at the right time are Chelsea. I think if there's one team that you would have to back in terms of a must-win game at the moment, I I would back Chelsea. Manchester City have scored a lot of goals. Liverpool are absolutely flying under Brendan Rodgers, but... Uh, When you look at the experience that Chelsea have, especially in the back line and Peter Cech in goal, I think they're the most capable of producing the result at the right time. And um, I I wouldn't bet against them to win the league this season.
0: Liam, it's been a pleasure talking to you. And we look forward to seeing you scoring from the halfway line against (laughs) West Ham in Rooney style. Yeah, I'm not sure about
3: that. But yeah, I'll try my best. (laughs) (laughs) Good luck for the rest of the season. Thank you. Take care, guys.
0: Well, he's a very talented uh, footballer. And who knows, he he may become a regular goalscorer once you get a taste for
4: that sort of thing, (laughs) (laughs) never goes away, does it? It goes in spells, doesn't it? I I remember George Paris at at West Ham never noted for his goal scoring and then he went on a run of about five or six games where he couldn't stop scoring so you never know.
0: Yeah, almost inevitably now he'll he'll score at the weekend. Word about West Brom,
4: I mean it's a very uncomfortable situation for them now isn't it? They're one of those teams that are are, are really banging trouble, again they'd have been looking at this game as one where they could potentially get points from and and it's another one that's slipped by, I think you have to really worry for them, it it was a big surprise to me actually when they made the change of manager and then he's not had a great time since he's arrived Pepe Mel and I I do fear for them at the moment I have to be honest Yeah, They're just three points above the drop
0: zone let's round off the show with uh, the least goals scored in any of the ten matches but possibly one of the most was dramatic. Papis Cisse headed in a last gas winner to earn Newcastle a 1-0 victory against Crystal Palace at St James's Park. It meant that Newcastle let Frog Southampton into eighth spot. With manager Alan Pardew serving the second of his three-match stadium ban, his assistant John Carver was in the dugout and he was very quick to praise the goalscorer.
2: I thought we were the one side that wanted to win the game. I think we had something like 21 shots with about 8-9 on target and absolutely delighted for the guy who's got the winning goal because he has come under a little bit of criticism lately. Uh, and for him to pop up right at the death was was amazing and everybody in that dressing room so pleased for staff, players, so pleased for puppies.
0: Well, Cissé dedicated his goal to his manager, said he's given him so much support during a very difficult period in his career. No wins in five now for Palace and it doesn't get any easier for them. Chelsea at Selhurst Park on Saturday and, you know, 17th place, three above the drop zone, they're right
4: back in it again, aren't they? Yeah, Tony Pugh again, a bit bit like uh, Gus Poy, had a real impact initially at the club. And uh, I think what they are, they're difficult to beat, Crystal Palace, which is a good thing. I think he's got them very organised, very disciplined. They're working extremely hard for the manager. But what they haven't got, a lot of goals in the side uh, and that's been a big problem for them because whilst they're still in matches and they, they, you know, they, even in this one they, right to the last minute the very last kick virtually you're thinking they're going to get a point from it and then it disappears they're just not scoring enough goals and, and that's something that will really worry Tony Pulis but he's never been relegated he's been in say, this situation before and he'll feel that he's got his team certainly working hard and, and, and trying for him so he will feel he can keep them out of that problem area in the relegation zone but he'd be looking for more goals from his side, definitely. Absolutely.
0: Well, there are 10 teams in action in midweek. We're going to take a, a quick look, though, at the weekend's Barclays
4: Premier League fixtures. Already mentioned Crystal Palace against Chelsea. What uh, jumps out at you? Bottom of the table, West Brom, Cardiff, must win for both sides, I think. So that's a huge game. I think at the top of the table, Manchester City travelling to Arsenal. Arsenal after big defeat against Chelsea. Not a great record against the teams at the top of the division. So that's a huge game for them. Sunday, I think can Liverpool keep pace at the top of the table, playing Spurs, which will give them a real test. Suarez and Sturridge are great form, though. You, you perhaps just fancy them, particularly at Anfield. And then on Monday, another big game towards the bottom, Sunderland against West Ham, a, a game that Sunderland to be identifying as an absolute must-win as well to try and get them out of trouble. So some some really interesting games, actually, over the whole course of the weekend. Yeah, that's the beauty of this season, isn't it? Just about every game has significance at the top or the bottom. Matt, thank you very much
0: indeed for your company. Now, just before we go, uh, everybody have a try at this week's trivia teaser. After a stunning display against Cardiff, Liverpool's Luis Suarez is only the fourth player to score three or more hat-tricks in a single Barclays Premier League season. Can you name the other three? If you think you know the answer, tweet it to at Barclays Footy or post it onto the Barclays Football Facebook page and we will reveal it on the site later in the week. Now, due to the midweek fixtures, most of the top flight teams would have played two more games before you hear from us again next Tuesday, so we will be reflecting on all the changes at the top and bottom of the table in one of the most exciting seasons for years. But until then, from Matt Holland and me, Marcus Buckland, goodbye. You've been listening to the official podcast of the Barclays Premier League brought to you by Barclays.